My advice would be buy books, study economics, read investment books, just start. Uh, you don't want to be naive about something that will impact you throughout your life. Uh, there's not one book that matters. Uh, I, I have read all the investment, the so-called famous investment books, you know, throughout my life. And that's how I picked up, you know, that's how I picked up a tremendous amount of knowledge. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Interactive Brokers IBKR Podcasts. I'm Jose Torres, your senior economist. I'm with Bruce Kaufman, managing partner of BDK Market Group Investment Management. Hi, Bruce. How you doing? I'm doing terrific. And Jose, thank you so much for having me here. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. So um, a lot of things going on in the markets these days. Market timing is becoming uh, an important um skill nowadays, especially with markets, you know, moving around in a volatile way. Tell us about your background. When and how did you get started? Well, it's probably going to be longer than this entire uh, time allocated for the podcast, but I actually started, Jose, when I was 10 years old. And so how did that happen? So I was fortunate. I had an older brother who was a math wizard. He was 16 years old. Than I. He lived in California. I was so I'm 10 years old at the time. He came to visit. Uh, this is in the 1960s. Okay, so uh, probably uh, uh, well before most of you guys were born. And he brought the Wall Street Journal. And I'm telling you, I I looked at the paper. I looked at the stock charts excuse me, the stock tables, and an electric pulse went through my body. Uh, the next month, I opened up an account at Payne Weber, which, of course, uh, for you younger people, is now UBS. It was subsumed into UBS at some point. And that's how I began. And um, I, start, I got interested. My brother really helped me get interested in technical analysis. So specifically, I started with point and figure charting in the 1960s. I used to every night chart uh, uh, 100 stocks, uh, of course, right off the newspaper. Realized this is well before the internet, well before calculators, all that stuff. But that's how I got started. And as time went on, one thing led to another as new technical breakthroughs uh, you know, were discovered. What always interested me is what happened what were the what were economic indicators saying? What were technical indicators saying as technical indicators uh, again became invented uh, at market pivot points? It always fascinated me, and it's really been a lifelong study. And what's happened is, certainly over I don't know the last uh, 15, 20 years, I've gotten very, very good, and I continue to try to improve my craft. But I've gotten very, very good at market timing. Now, not many people uh, can do this, and I'm not going to say I get it right every single day, but I get it mostly right. And uh, what I try to do in my firm, I basically I manage money for high net worth individuals and, and institutions. 
is to avoid major drawdowns uh, and you know participate on on the upside and avoid any kind of trapdoor uh, type of situations where you're just too exposed on the long side when the market falls apart. So, but I will have, you know, uh, participate somewhat uh, vis-a-vis, you know, short sales and or just being defensive in, uh, in general. Great, great. So speaking of the market falling apart and the possible possibilities for volatility, uh, you know, last year was a remarkably strong year. We got some a big volatility uptick in March during the uh, bank failures of SVB, Signature, First Republic, et cetera. Uh, but overall, it was a great year. It was a positive year. So far this year in January, we've seen narrowing breadth. Tech stocks have really led the way. Uh, what's your outlook for this year? Well, first, first of all, I don't necessarily look at it from you know one year to the next. Because the year before last year was an awful year for those who were long. So uh, if you look at, for example, the S&P on an equal weighted basis, okay, so for, for the audience, uh, the S&P is, uh, is calculated via uh, a mar- market capitalization, which throws much more weight to the largest stocks. And... You know, what is essentially has happened is that a half dozen, six, seven, eight, nine stocks have really uh, been the main beneficiaries of, let's say, Fed largesse. Uh, and um, if you look at, if you take away, so actually, so if you own the SPY, you're not really diversified. You, you're essentially owning seven or eight or nine stocks mostly. You think you're diversified uh, until you realize you're not. So I like also looking at the market on an equal weighted basis. And this is the same with the NASDAQ, which is also calculated the same way uh, as the S&P. And on an equal weighted basis, at least through the, uh, a couple of days ago, the market was down uh, you know, 5% from its all-time high. So it doesn't mean it can't hit it on an equal weighted basis, but the IWM, uh, uh, which, as you know, is smaller and mid-sized companies would have to catch up. So, you know, we'll see if that happens. So, you know, essentially the way I look at markets is, is we, is three ways. I look at whether the first, where I start is with the indexes. Why do I do that? Is because most stocks move with the indexes. If the indexes are going up, the majority of stocks go up. If the indexes are going down, the majority of stocks are going down. If the, if the indexes are in what's, what I call misalignment, then you have a, a chop, choppy slash whipsaw kind of situation. So what I do, and I've developed technique to be able to determine fairly accurately where we are. And that's how I start my day. Every morning, I, I take a look at the data. My opinion doesn't matter. You know, so what I read, which is essentially somebody else's opinion, or perhaps they're trying to manipulate me, who knows, doesn't matter. What matters is what the market is saying. And if the market is saying we are in misalignment, which we are currently, then we're in a chop situation. If it says, 
if the data suggests that we're going lower, uh, meaning that all, I, I, let me just take a step back. I look at five indexes. I look at the S&P 500. I look at the NASDAQ 100. I look at the NASDAQ composite. I look at the Russell. And I look at the Dow. And to be in alignment, uh, uh, all of the uh, all of those indexes have to uh, basically have gone through a technical gauntlet uh, that shows me that it is moving in one direction or another. Now, how do I determine the technical gauntlet? I'm an expert in DeMarc analysis. And for the audience that's not uh, out there that's not that familiar with that, uh, Tom DeMarc, who I happen to think is one of the brightest uh, per people, uh, certainly in technical analysis, he received a Lifetime Achievement Award, I think, last year, um, uh, has developed a methodology which really fits and has fit on how I look at markets, which is, which is you have a momentum phase and you have an exhaustion phase. And so what I look for are those turning points. Now, I don't just use DeMarc, I use other technical uh, tools uh, that I've become expert in over the years. But looking at this every morning, which I then publish in a, uh, in a uh, market letter, I tell my clients uh, exactly what I think is gonna happen in the market and uh well you know what the outlook is and so you know then i invest accordingly interesting interesting and what are some of the other indicators that you use um, i know some popular ones are um relative strength index you know oscillators uh the bollinger bands moving averages uh, what, what are some of your favorites uh, one of my favorites, usually the ones that are most popular are the ones that are my least favorite. Uh, so uh, what I what I do like is I look at sentiment. And now why do I look at sentiment? I look at sentiment because people, you know, sentiment reflects emotion. Humans are emotional beings. They get really excited you know, when stocks are going up and they get really depressed when stocks are going down, right? And it's really, it's really amazing to me where you could have, let's say at the beginning of the week, the market could be slammed. And then by the end of the week, the market is going up and it's as if the beginning of the week never even existed, right? And that's how quickly, you know, uh, investors, you know, change the opinion. So I don't try to get caught up in any of that uh, emotion. Uh, one of the one of the tools I look at is uh, you know bullish per, uh, percentage. Uh, you know, bullet the percentage bullish bullish sentiment uh, bullish percentage of uh, sentiment. So uh, uh, and I use a number of moving averages to tell me when that is actually turning. And one of the things I look at, and what we actually have right now, uh, here we are in late uh, January. Uh, so this, by the time this is published, maybe it changes. But what we have right now is a negative divergence between the sentiment indicator and what the SBX has been doing. 
So it doesn't mean that the sentiment indicator, which is quite elevated, uh, can't turn back up. I mean, anything can happen in markets, but the probabilities are that at some point the SPX will actually, uh, you know, react to the fact that there's a negative divergence. What it needs is some sort of catalyst. It could be an economic, uh, it's typically some sort of economic report or something that people just don't expect. Yeah, and you know, this week we have uh, PMIs tomorrow, Wednesday, the 24th, and then on the 25th, we have the fourth quarter GDP report. On the 26th, we have the core PC inflation report, and then we have a big meeting next week with Chair Powell of the Fed, sure. uh, expecting to pause, but I think investors are really going to be looking for clues on when the first rate cut is going to occur. Um, I think at the Fed, they have been increasingly cautious, realizing that in, at the December 13th meeting, um, when Chair Powell talked about rate cuts and the possibility for them in the near future, how the market started to price in a lot more rate cuts for 2024. Um, what do you think? Do you think he'll maybe walk back some of that? Do you think he'll have more of a dovish or more of a hawkish tilt? I tend to be more on the hawkish um, tilted side because I think last time he was too dovish. So I think he's going to kind of revert to the other side here, but I'd be interesting to, to hear your thoughts. My, my thoughts are probably atypical. My thoughts are, I don't care. What matters to me is how the market interprets whatever he does, because there are so many, you know, the market is made up of millions upon millions of investors, okay? And they are all reacting to a variety of different stimuli. So trying to isolate as if that one stimuli is the stimuli, to me, it's certainly something I can't do, and I don't even bother trying. What I find for myself and for my clients, what's far more important is to identify how the market in aggregate is reacting to whatever, whatever these policy decisions are or whatever the news happens to be. And, you know, uh, again, my methodology takes this into uh, consideration, you know, takes, I would say a moderate amount of volatility into consideration so that I don't get, you know, uh, um, it often in any of these uh, timing methodologies, it's really a question of where do you set your parameters so that you don't get whipsawed out of the position. Now, to get fairly esoteric here, in DeMarc, there's a concept called the reference close. Okay, and that uh, can change on a daily basis. Um, there's an upper reference close level and a lower reference close level. This can change on a daily basis based on the volatility of, of the instrument that you're looking at. And uh, to that, I have added some of my own technical rules, uh, which actually I have found have, have worked extremely well. Uh, so to keep, keep me from getting, you know, whipsawed. Uh, so as a result, to answer your question again, it doesn't matter to me. You know, we'll see how the market reacts and then, you know, uh, position accordingly. So. 
Let me ask you that in another way. <laughs> Please do. Uh, what do you think about rates um, at the short end and at the long end? Of course, the short end um, has a lot to do with Fed policy. The long end, you know, some of the things I read your commentaries, I love them. Uh, some of the things that you talk about sometimes are the record amount of deficits, debt, and issuance from the Treasury, which you presumably affects the long end. So curious your outlook on rates. Well, let me answer that in a slightly different way. I won't say it doesn't matter because it does matter. <laughs> but um, what I am focused on is the current inversion. So 10 out of 10 times over the last roughly 75 years, it's a long time. And I could have gone back further, but a lot of the data is, let's say, rough as you go back uh, further. But 10 out of 10 times when the, uh, and this is something I have in my market letter every morning, and it's something I look at multiple times during the day, if necessary, is what is the relationship between the 10-year yield and the two-year yield? So basically, I take the 10-year yield, I divide it by the two-year yield. Uh, for the last uh, two to three weeks, it's been somewhere between 0.93 and 0.95, with obviously 1.0 uh, being the equal line, and anything over 1.0 is a normal sloping yield curve. Now, what, what uh, is key is before the, the relationship of the 10-year and two-year actually matter, what I have always looked at is the relationship from a yield quotient perspective of the 10-year and the three-month. So for the, for, what, for the 10-year and two-year to be focused on, what has to happen is you need to have at least a 30-session, um, a 30, a, a, we'll say a one-month inversion between the three-month Treasury bill and the 10-year Treasury bond. Now, that was satisfied during the first week of December, roughly, in 2022. On average, over the last 75 years, every time that has occurred, within 18 months, there has been a recession. And if you go back and look at history and you look at the media at the time, Every time, nobody was re predicting a recession. It was always a soft landing, if things slow down, oh, okay. Since 1945, there has been one soft landing. That was in the mid-90s. Now, it's certainly possible we could have a soft landing again, but the odds are not uh, suggestive of that. Um, also, when the 10-year and the two-year reverts, normalizes, and it accelerates, every time that has occurred, when I say every time, 10 out of 10 times, there has been a significant impact on equity prices to the downside. Is it possible that this time is different? Yes. Anything is possible. Do I think it is likely? No. That said, that signal hasn't occurred yet. So I'm not focused on it in terms of positioning, but once I see it, 
uh, of course, I will be focused. And what I have found is that when that ratio, again, the 10-year yield divided by the two-year yield, accelerates over a specific proprietary, meaning it's a number I know, you know, I'm in the knowledge business here. It's a number I know. Uh, it kind of, it, it, it triggers, it has triggered uh, the adverse equity reaction. So let's give an example. We had the condition satisfied last, the last time we had this condition satisfied was in May of 2019. If you take a look at treasury tables, you'll see that for roughly a month, uh, there was an inversion between the three month and the, and the 10 year. In February of 2020, we had an acceleration of the 10 year and the two year. Now, um, when in May of 2019, when we first had that inversion of the 10 and the three, nobody was thinking about COVID. Nobody had even heard of COVID. My point is it's, it's often something out of the blue that causes it. Because if it's obvious, it's probably already factored into the market. So I have no idea what specifically may cause it. We'll see at the time. But as of right now, there is no signal. So I'm not focused on it. But it's certainly something that I am very aware of. If we were to use the 18 months, let's say it, it hits on average, and we could look at this summer, perhaps, as the time when it hits. But it doesn't have to be 18 months. It could be longer than that. As we well know mathematically, the definition of an average is it's an average. It doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean it's happening on a specific day. It could, it, could, it could take another year. Maybe it happens in 2025. You know, so uh, we'll see. You know, when the numbers say it's happening, it's happening. Until then, it's just a, a, a potentiality. You know, here in 2024, we've had economic forecasters talk about recession, soft landing, hard landing. <clears throat> Excuse me. No landing, soft landing, hard landing. So against that backdrop, is the reversion to normalcy on the yield curve led by the short end this time around, or is it led by the long end, meaning that does the two year? I understand. I understand. Oh, well, for our audience, I, I know you understand, you know, um, smartest investors choose interactive brokers. So when I asked Bruce that, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm, um, I'm asking him if, is the Fed going to cut so fast, the two years going to fall below the 10 year or is our inflation expectations, fiscal budgets, economic growth going to weigh on the long end of the curve and make the 10 year catch up to the two year first? Historically, it's been the former, meaning the two-year starts heading south in a major way, okay? Um, it's certainly possible that the other could happen where the 10-year rises dramatically. That would mathematically cause the same effect. Uh, but usually what is happening, the two-year is dropping because the Fed is panicking that, that a recession or some adverse economic impact to the economy has occurred 
and they are rapidly dropping the Fed funds rate. And as we know, they're not, they don't control per se what the two year is doing. However, as, as we know, the, the maturities that are closer in, typically two years and less, uh, most affected by what the Fed does uh, with respect to the Fed funds. So I would expect it's probably going to be that. But, you know, Fed surprised me. It could go, you know, it could go the other way, I guess. Yeah, you know, in October, we had the um, the 10-year at 5%, and that was a big driver of the equity sell-off down to 4,100. You know, today, we're here at 4,850 on the S&P 500. Um, yields are softer than they were back then. Uh, I guess another important consideration are valuations. Uh, I know you're a technical expert, but at what point do valuations start to hamper further upside? Um, last few years, I've sort of thought of valuations in the context of 20 times earnings being too much and 15 times earnings being too little for the overall S&P. Uh, wonder what your thoughts are. I think the market is overvalued, but as we discussed earlier, Markets can remain overvalued for a long time. They can also remain undervalued for a long time. So at some point, it will change. Um, when I get a technical signal that says it's going to change, that's when it will change. Um, you know, we have seen so many short sellers, I presume, getting run over, uh, you know, certainly over the last year by you know, predicting, oh, the market's overvalued, let me go short, you know, then they're dead. So uh, it will happen at some point. The market is probably 25%, 20 to 25% overvalued. Uh, I think perhaps when we get that yield curve uh, reversion and acceleration, maybe the market drops 20 to 25% somewhere along those lines. Um, uh, but we'll have to wait. Uh, could the market continue to go higher? Sure. Uh, but as of right now, it, is, it remains in what's called misalignment. It's very, very choppy. So uh, there is no real uh, direction uh, outside of what I would say the continuing momentum from the November uh, move. And so it's just kind of drifting, melting upward. Now, I should add, from a technical standpoint, the uh, uh, E-minis and also the, S, the SPX and the SPY, they are all trading above uh, their uh, upper limit of the Bollinger Bands and Keltner channels. So this is a lot of technical gobbledygook, but essentially what it means is often, and it, it can actually stay up there, uh, for a bit. It's called scalloping if it can, continues to stay above that. But at some point, at a minimum, it typically will react and come back to its uh, you know, 20-day moving average. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a game of chicken right here you know, with, with investors. There are also lots of the mark exhaustion signals. Uh, so with the mark an exhaustion signal typically means that within the next 12 ses sessions, you have 
reaction or you look for a reaction going in the uh, opposite way. However, it doesn't necessarily mean that it, that will happen. It is possible for exhaustion signals to do what's known as a recycle, uh, meaning that there's still more uh, uh, upside momentum left in the market. And uh, we'll see, have to see how that plays out. But the fact that there's lots of exhaustion right now is certainly something that uh, you know I'm very aware of and looking at. Great, great. Uh, shifting a little bit, uh, we just launched a, another podcast series called Sense of Security, and that's to inform uh, younger folks um, and folks that maybe don't know much about finance, about some of the basics. Uh, and I, against that backdrop, I'd like to ask you, what advice can you give younger people who want to learn how to invest? So one of the great tragedies of this country, maybe globally, but certainly in the US, is you can go K through college and graduate without knowing, the flip for a second, but knowing how to balance your checkbook. Um, my advice would be buy books, buy economics, read investment books, just start. Uh, you don't want to be naive about something that will impact you throughout your life. Uh, there's not one book that matters. Uh, I, I have read all the investment, the so-called famous investment books, you know, throughout my life. And that's how I picked up, you know, that's how I picked up a tremendous amount of knowledge, you know, on top of the, the background, foundational background, which was the major in economics and finance, right? So, uh, just having an econ degree and a finance degree is terrific. However, applying that knowledge to making money in markets is a whole different thing. And what I would stress is know yourself. Everybody, uh, everybody is a little bit different when it comes to your personal psychology, you know, so some people, you know, they can gamble and they can sleep at night like a baby and that's, I guess, fine. And then there are people who are on the other end of the spectrum. Figure out where you are in the, uh, on the spectrum and invest accordingly. You never want to wake up at three in the morning worried about an investment that you made. That means you have too much of it, uh, of whatever it is. Uh, you have to know yourself. Then what I would suggest is read a number of different uh, investment books with respect to how different traders or investors do it and find a process. And the key word here is process that works for you. Okay. And stick to that process. There is no, there is no holy grail in investing. Even the great investors lose money at times. Okay. It's, it's all about having a mathematical edge within whatever process you have selected. And if it really is nothing more than wash, rinse, repeat, that's all I do. Wash, rinse, repeat. I, I stick to my process. It works for me. Maybe it doesn't work for different types of investors because we're all somewhat different. And that's fine. 
So I would never knock another type of investment process or, you know, we see this often if you turn on the media, you know, somebody goes on, they're, 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 they're talking their book, so to speak. And then in the, implicitly, they are uh, perhaps telling people why they're, they are so, uh, so much smarter than everybody else. I would never do that. You know, there, there is room for all of us here. Uh, the finance and the investment area is such a enormous ocean. Just find your subset within that ocean where you can be profitable and, and you know, specialize in it. I know guys, all they do is trade e-mini futures. They don't do anything else. They have one chart or a few charts. One or two computers, that's all they do. They're not trying to do 50 things at once, and they're expert at it. That is an example of a subset. You know, for other people, you know, maybe that's too risky or whatever, but just find your subset and do it. Never invest emotionally. Uh, that is, a, you know, and uh, uh, that is a great way to eventually blow up. So you have to, do, you know, so read books. Lots of books out there about uh, about investing, and and read the you know to uh, go onto onto the interactive brokers podcasts and and listen to them and find other you know smart people and and say hey this is an interesting approach this really works for me or this doesn't work for me you're not going to do you're not going to learn a lifetime of of knowledge in a week it takes time but you have to start. You know, today is the first day of your rest of your life. Start today. Great, Bruce. Thanks for that. Uh, and finally, where can people go to find out more information about BDK Market Group Investment Management? And how can they sign up for your daily, weekly commentaries? Well, I'll, I'll just email me at info, I-N-F-O, at bdkmarketgroup.com. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at ibkrpodcasts.com. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education material, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary, seek professional advice. Any discussion or mention of an ETF is not to be construed as recommendation, promotion, or solicitation. All investors should review and consider associated investment risks, charges, and expenses of the investment company or fund prior to investing. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, as necessary, seek professional advice. 